the greatest obstacle for men is this this inhibition and this fear of trying and failing you know being found out as like a fraud you know i think there's there's a lot of things that just paralyze a man from trying god gives us the grace we need for the day you know not the 10 steps down the road because then we get worried about that god wants to meet us where we're at and we so we got to be there too to focus on the question of like where am i at right now and what is god calling me to do today what path has god chosen for us what is he asking us to do with our lives and how do we answer his invitation properly in this week's episode priest athlete and writer father michael zimmerman shares how proper discernment can cut through fear and distraction so we can clearly hear our vocational call. Our mission in the church is to reveal God, the Father's love for the world, and only you can do that in your situation, the people that you meet each and every day of your life, and only you can fulfill that. And they're all these are all interrelated. Your vocational state's gonna determine where you are and what you're doing on a day-to-day -day basis and what you're able to do, but also your ability to seek God's will and to do it every day is what's gonna make you holy and lead you to heaven. Each of us has a specific role to play in the history of salvation. Discernment is how we respond to that mission with confidence. This is Living the Call. Father Michael Zimmerman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Deacon Charlie. Happy to be here. It's great. Uh, it's great to have you. Um, how's uh, you're in Boston today? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm in Boston. Um, <laughs> it's a good question. To do. You're in Boston all the time. Uh, all the time, but I've been on a lot of mission trips recently, actually. So um, it is a good clarifying question that I am in Boston today. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you grew you grew up there. I mean, you've been there. You're kind of a Bostonite, right? From from the beginning. Yep. So I grew up in a suburb of Boston called Needham. Went to uh, high school and uh, went to Boston University for college. My only time really away from Boston was in seminary. I went to Rome for five years for my theology. Nice. I've been thinking a lot about this show, Father, and you know, I know that even though you know we just we just had a prayer that's that asked the Holy Spirit to take this conversation wherever He wants, but nevertheless, something that I've been thinking a lot about this conversation has been rooted in the in really the ministry that you're helping to lead for the diocese for the archdiocese, um, and that is really focused on in the area of vocation. Um, this show is called Living the Call, mm -hmm. and vocation. Yeah. Is another is another word, right? Uh, vocare, the Latin, right? It's another word for call or hearing a calling. Mm -hmm. So I've been really reflecting on that and the importance of, you know, vocational activity. One starting point, as good as any, you'll tell me whether or not it is. But one starting point that I thought could be cool to get your perspective on is that, from my standpoint, and I've preached on this in the past, that. I'm not sure if we have, we, we've all heard popularly this notion of a crisis of vocations. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like that sort of puts the problem kind of at God's feet in a sense, right? Like if, we, if we're having a crisis of calling, then isn't the person who's responsible for that the caller? Where I kind of look at it as potentially a crisis of maybe invitation or a crisis of distraction or some other crisis where I, I believe, and maybe I'm wrong, and that's why I'm asking you, I'd love your thoughts, mm -hmm. that, you know, God constantly calls and constantly calls, especially, you know, men to enter into the ministerial priesthood, but that we don't always listen. And maybe that's from distraction or lack of invitation. But so I, I don't know, maybe I, just starting with that, what's your view of kind of where we are vocationally and what it means? Yeah, great question. Uh, and yeah, I do think 
uh, the issue is not on on God's part. <laughs> you know, big fan of God. I think He's got it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, well, I would say maybe two thoughts. One would be uh, in terms of a, a vocation, a calling, definitely being the work of the Holy Spirit and God the Father speaking to us. Um, but it is also often incarnational. Um, in that a calling can come through other people and especially the witness of their lives, um, seeing others, you know, radically living for Christ, choosing religious life or priesthood or um, ordained, being an ordained clergy, like that inspires others to pursue that for themselves as well. And receiving an invitation from others to like, hey, why don't you come join us? Why don't you experience or share in our work? Even if, and so I would say there's there's that side of it, which we can often do a better job on as priests of like letting others see our lives and share in that and enter into that for young men who might be thinking about the priesthood. Um, but yeah, I think a big part is it's not God failing to call, but our failing to um, to hear or to respond. You mentioned distraction. I would say a big part of it as well is just a lack of trust. Um, mm. of, you know, do I, do I trust God that he is good, that he has a plan for my life, that, um, that he's worth it. <laughs> um, and it's worth trying to seek and to do his will. Part of that is just cause we don't know him. Um, and we don't take the time to know him cause we're distracted or whatever else, but it's like, no, do we really believe in God that, yeah, mm. that he's worth it, that he's got a plan for me. And despite all my fears and objections, like it's going to be good. Creatively, you had sort of a COVID baby in the sense that you penned and, and wrote uh, a, uh, uh, a platform essentially for vocational discernment called Chivias. And so we'll talk about that, I'm sure, throughout this episode. But it, just your comment there brought up a thought that I had when watching one of the videos itself and you kind of recount this story of you know during your own you know discernment process and i'm not sure exactly where in the chronology it was but you had this exercise where a kind of a spiritual exercise where you had to kind of walk in reverse right walk backwards through this kind of wooded area and you had to count on someone assisting you right maybe that maybe that's an example of the incarnational piece of it somebody being there as a guide to help you not trip over stuff and whatever but then more to the point uh, at least in that video you made the case that ultimately our guide needs to be god and trusting him is the principle by which we need to operate irrespective of what our field of view might be yeah yeah no that's uh, I think that's spot on. That that video you're referencing was one of the more recent ones, and that was from a time when I was in seminary already. Um, and it was actually there was a priest who um, we were visiting a shrine of Saint Mary Magdalene, and the walking backwards kind of depicted her um, her life as almost being backwards, you know, before encountering Christ, you know. Um, and so you walk backwards to the shrine and then you can walk forwards after you, you depart from there. Um, and, but yeah, it's a, it's a, I think it's a great analogy of, yeah, we do need a guy. We need someone to show us um, the way. And ultimately that being a trust uh, type thing, like, do I trust the person who's guiding me, leading me? Um, I think that's as a vocation director, maybe that's sometimes why men 
are afraid of coming to the vocation director because it's like, oh, he's just going to tell me to be a priest. He doesn't really know me. He doesn't know what's going to be best for me. um, And, you know, maybe sometimes that's true. Maybe there are vocation directors that are just out there to recruit lots of priests. Um, You know, I hope my ambition is simply to help men to grow in holiness and to do God's will and to be the saints and the men that God has made them to be. Because ultimately, God is the one who knows them. And I just want to help them get um, in relationship with God, learn to trust him and to learn to do his will. Was there an incarnational dimension of your own vocational walk? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, in this video series you referenced in Shivyas, it that's the, a really big part of it is trying trying to show, not just talk about my discernment, but try to to show the people and the places and everything that was a part of it to show that it was, it's real, you know, it's real people. Um, you're not crazy for thinking that maybe God wants you to be a priest or has a plan for you, um, that these are real things. So for me, it really began with a community of religious brothers called the Brotherhood of Hope. And they ran our campus ministry at Boston University. And their witness of their lives and like that they invited myself and other men in the community to to share in their work, to pray with them, to live with them, to have meals with them. I began to say like, oh, these are good men. I admire their prayer, their community, their work. Like I could see myself doing this. So for me, that's where Mm. it really began. And I think it's a really essential part because oftentimes maybe men have a vague sense of maybe I should be a priest, you know, Um, but they have nothing in their experience to compare that to or to start to evaluate it by. They're like, oh, no, I know what a priest does. I know priests. I can verify this calling within myself based on my experience. Yeah, and I wonder if, and I don't know if you, maybe you don't know the stats on this, but I'm just curious if in your experience um, in, in the Office of Vocations there for the Archdiocese, is it more often or more common that a man who enters a seminary or goes all the way through is someone who has proximity to other priests or, you know, somehow sees that reference model and goes, you know, whatever, maybe it's somebody that I was particularly close to or my, uh, my parish priest, or maybe in the family, there's a priest or, or is it all, or is there a meaningful percentage of people who don't have any kind of intimate proximity to the priesthood, but maybe, but nevertheless have discerned that this may be a path for them? Yeah. I, I, I don't have statistics. That's correct. Uh, but, uh, you know, by all accounts and by my own experience and what I've seen, the experience of others, it seems like there's yeah some major points of contact that help make a vocation of priesthood become more of a reality for someone. Um, so, yes, one of those would absolutely be contact with a priest, whether in their childhood, altar serving or um having family meals with the priest, but a priest being someone that they know often they admire and they look up to. Um, I would say that's, that's really important. Also is, I think a really important thing would be being part of a community of faith where people are radically trying to know Jesus and to do God's will. And that kind of culture of discernment of just, constantly discerning what is God's will for my life. That's not just something that I do once and try to figure out, well, marriage or priesthood. No, it's every day of my life. So 
where there's communities of faith of people asking these questions, I think vocations do come. Though it it does also that relationship with the priest is important too. Um, to think, well, okay, maybe I'm called to a lay vocation, but also the priesthood. And then I would say, lastly, also it's just um, their own life of prayer, their own relationship with Christ. You know, sometimes God does call people out of the woodwork <laughs> um, yeah. just through their own experience of prayer and the sacraments in a sense of like, of, of them being called for that. But I think, you know, if you have all three of those there, then that's, that's really great. But I think God works through any one of them. Yeah. My, my sense is that as we go on in time, and again, you know, we're, we're in a time and place for a particular reason, right? So you're in Boston, I'm in LA, but we're both Americans and we're both Catholics in 2022, right? We could have been born anywhere else at any other time. But my sense, and this is, you know, just my own opinion, but my sense is that that incarnational dimension, particularly the invitation dimension of incarnation, probably grows in importance over time. And what I mean by that is that I think it's always important, don't get me wrong, but just the bias might be a little bit stronger mm -hmm. today because the the sort of on-ramps, right? You mentioned altar serving, having a, a, you know, a community of faith that you're very active in and then your own kind of relationship. You know, sadly, some of the challenges facing the church right now is that those, let's call them on-ramps to a kind of a a faith experience, A, and B, a discernment experience, are increasingly challenged, right? The, sort of less kids going to Catholic school, less, you know, a, a lot more challenges to, you know, family, divorce, things like that, which might fracture those kind of things that may have in a previous time existed more readily. And so to me, the idea that if the priesthood is, if we're going to be able to hear God's call, the priesthood has to be an option to begin with, right? And to me, it just feels like, and this is maybe tied in somehow to everything coming out of the Second Vatican Council and the importance of, of laity in all things that are church-driven, but I almost feel like those, that incarnational component, it's, it's, in, it's increasingly incumbent upon people, and, you know, and I'm talking lay folks, to make that option and opportunity visible and available to, 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 to men, you know, at whatever moment in their in their spiritual journey, because in the absence of that, if we're only relying on, you know, again, I alter served or I'm very active in a particular community or whatever, those things are increasingly more constrained. And I'm not saying we should be satisfied with that. We shouldn't be, no. but it nevertheless is like a reality. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. I think maybe some of what you're saying is like, as the Catholic culture, to some extent, uh, becoming less of a part of our everyday lives, um, and so there's just more, you know, it's the, in the past, you know, the kids were involved with CYO basketball and like altar serving and everything revolved around the life of the parish while now it's like, well, I've got three other sports, you know, I've got school, I've got after school tutoring, I've got all these other things going on. And so there's, um, just by, um, it's less concentrated. Our, our lives don't revolve around the parish as much. So we do have to be more intentional about it. There you go. That's the right word. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, something maybe a little going off from what you were saying, but um, something I've heard recently is just actually the, the role that religious sisters play in all this as well. Um, mm. This was an older, uh, an older priest was telling me like, we didn't have vocation directors back in the day. <laughs> we just had nuns that said, <laughs> you go be a priest, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I think there's definitely like 
the nuns could say things, you know, they could just do it. And, uh, and you listen to them. Uh, <laughs> That's part of that feminine genius. Absolutely. Yeah, ex- exactly. And even uh, another vocation director, in another diocese was saying, yeah, when he sees, you know, for every religious sister or every vocation, like a young woman entering, um, a religious community, he sees like three men respond to becoming priests. Um, and just mm. like the, the witness of, of young women responding to their vocations does inspire men as well. It's super powerful. I mean, in, in my own life, uh, you know, with my kids, I've got five kids and, you know, uh, two girls, three boys. And the youngest ones, the ones that are still at home are, are 17 and 19. And especially with, with them, with those two, because uh, we, had, we had a girl who's older than they, they are and then another daughter. So we, we had our kind of first son and then uh, the last two are, are you know, the ones that we, we, we still have at home that are both boys. And in those scenarios in particular, as, as our own faith walk has expanded and I discern my own, you know, kind of calling to the diaconate, et cetera, we've always introduced the priesthood to them as part of that kind of panorama of potential that God has in front of you. In other words, hey, you're really skilled in this particular area, and I know that you've got a lot of really interesting, you know, uh, you know, kind of background in a, in a variety of different areas, but we, we've introduced that to them. We've said, hey, you're, you're really good at whatever it may be, athletics, or, you know, one of my sons has one of these super great analytical minds, and he could be a fantastic engineer if that's what he chooses to do. The other one is much more artistically inclined, and he wants to create things and art and other, other, other things, but always in that set of options, let's call it, as a parent, we've always advanced the notion of there's always the priesthood too. And it it seems so kind of simple in a way, um, but some of the greatest things are really simple and elegant, right? And it's just having that be an option as a parent raising, you know, boys uh, in particular in this case, uh, and, you know, obviously religious as well, so it doesn't have to just be boys, but that I found to be a big way to kind of short circuit this notion that there's everything over here and there's mm-hmm. this like radical, mm-hmm. crazy lunatic option that's somewhere off on the, you know, in the horizon, but kind of bringing those things together and going, these are all ways that God could be calling you mm-hmm. to live out your vocation. And your job is to discern which of those is the right path. But it's been in that consideration set, to use a marketing term, right? It's been in the consideration set with our kids. And I find that in many cases, at least the stories that I meet of guys who eventually have discerned and either discerned out or they've gone all the way through, they didn't have that that sense of like, it's one of some other things. It was always like, I thought it was going to be this, but then came this crazy, you know, two by four hit me over the head or some some experience. And now I kind of find myself here. You know, so, I, and I don't know if that's like a best practice, but it's just something we've used in, in our own household with our children. Yeah, no, I think it's it's awesome to um, even have it as like a, that, that your kids have an understanding of that as an option uh, for a variety of reasons. One, that you would support them in that um, if they were to pursue that. Because I think there's a lot of, um, probably one of the greatest obstacles for a lot of young people people in discerning their vocations, their parents' objections to it, unfortunately. You know, when we have men, especially coming, you know, coming out of high school or in their college years who are thinking about the priesthood, um, unfortunately, a lot of probably their parents is like the number one obstacle for them pursuing a religious vocation. Yeah, I believe it. And I'm sure, yeah, for religious sisters, it's the same thing. So even knowing that you support them is a huge thing. I think... And as you said, short circuiting as a way to kind of um, not 
make it like an extreme, but rather like, oh, God's a part of my everyday life and whatever he's going to be calling me to. That's something I encourage for young men, you know, who, who are thinking, well, maybe the priesthood, uh, but they're, they're often afraid of asking the question. They're like, well, if I talk to God about it, then it's going to, you know, I'm going to have to become a priest. <laughs> I'm like, that's not how it works. Uh, you're asking the question doesn't change the answer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you're asking the question will lead to peace and clarity after <laughs> the, the answer. For sure. Uh, and an understanding of who you are and what God wants for you. And that's, you know, that's why I say like, you know, discernment can be, is, is important for everyone. And especially for a young person who thinking maybe the priesthood, they should investigate to some extent because, all it's going to do is help you trust God more, you know, learning how to grow in a relationship with them, learning how to pray, learning how to place things in his hand. That's something all Christians are called to, not just priests or religious, but, um, but everyone uh, learning how to just like to say yes to God and grow closer to him. I can, I can affirm that in my own walk too. I remember, um, you know, I had been sort of vaguely interested in the diaconate, uh, for a, a few years, not that long, actually, because I'm, 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 a, I'm a person who's like constantly taking a step in whatever direction it is, usually the wrong one, but whatever. But I'm like, I'm very, I'm moving quite a bit. So I don't sit on stuff for too, too long. And I do want to talk about that, but we'll hold that for a second. But I, I remember in my, um, in my own walk, it was this sense of sort of synchronicity and a moment of just looking at, looking at a way to say yes to God um, one step at a time, mm. right? So there was an information day for the diaconate. My wife sent me an email. I was walking out of uh, Mass. I was on a business trip and walking out of St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York. And I remember looking down at my, at the time it was a Blackberry, um, <laughs> but early smartphone. It was a mediocre phone. But anyway, um, I remember looking down and seeing this email from my wife and it was like, hey, do you want to go to this information day? And at that point, the idea of the diaconate being ordained, having ministries like that was like, whoa, that's like so, I, I don't even know what that is yet. But I did say yes, like instantly to that idea mm -hmm. of like information day. Sure. Everybody wants information. I'll go there. And it, it was sort of like a snowball beginning, right, where it kind of took momentum. And from that initial yes, there was another, you know, door or window, whatever you want to call it, but another opportunity for me to say yes or no to something. And it was like step by step by step to the point where when I got in front of the, you know, the formation team five years later, um, right before ordination, and they asked me, which I thought was kind of a crazy question, but the last question they asked me is like, well, why do you want to be a deacon? I mean, at the, this is six years in from that point, right? Why do you want to be a deacon? And I just, my answer was, I'm not really sure how I got here, if not by just answering God's thousand mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. calls that have led me to this moment, right? So... But I think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said about that sort of yes, right? And it, and it, it sometimes it comes in these very bite-sized, you know, pieces because God is bringing us along, mm -hmm. and it's not trying to just give us everything, uh, you know, in kind of matrix fashion, like just plug you in and download it all into you, right? Yeah. Um, in fact, that's kind of unusual when that does happen. But d does that you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. I would say 100. Uh, percent When Jesus called his apostles, he didn't say like. Who wants to go be a martyr in Rome? You know, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's like, come and follow me. Do you want to learn from me? Do you want to follow me and be my disciple? And they're like, yeah, you're pretty great. Um, so, um, yeah, God gives us the grace we need for the day. You know, not the ten steps down the road, because then we get worried about that. You know, if we knew yeah. everything that's 
involved. We, and we're not there. It's not where God wants to meet us where we're at. And we, so we got to be there too. Um, and yeah, a lot of men in discerning, they, they, they're already thinking 10, 15 years down the road. And it's not like, but rather to focus on the question of like, where am I at right now? And what is God calling me to do today? Um, and just simplifying that, um, you know, because before you're ordained a priest, you've got six plus years in seminary of formation. It's not, it's not like, boom, one and done. It's like, no, you, you have time to grow in this and to discern this. And then even entering seminary, it's talking to the vocation director does not mean you go to seminary. Right. Um, <laughs> in fact, most of the men I talk to do not go to seminary. Um, and so not letting, not getting paralyzed by like how big things seem, but really like realizing, mm. no, each day is, is not that complicated. It's, it's not that big. Mm. Um, but you know, either, um, going on that retreat or that come and see, or talking to the vocation director or just what are the simple things like God wants me to do uh, today and be faithful to that and, and not be so preoccupied with the, the 10 steps down the road. And staying on that thematic, just kind of bringing this thought back around, which is this notion of, of, you know, responding, right. Say, mm -hmm. taking an action. There's another one of the videos that I saw from Chivius, which is your, your video series, um, that talked about, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, but it's, it's something on the lines of action leads to certainty. Mm -hmm. It's not like certainty occurs and then you act. So if that's true, and I believe it is, I actually think it's really well said, but if that's true, then it necessitates on our part kind of taking a step. And I, and I wonder where does that sort of sense of inaction rank in terms of the things preventing men from advancing on this, you know, kind of vocational journey? Just the fact that they're like, I'm, I'm constantly kind of paralyzed or stalled, or I think you use the, 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 the metaphor of sitting on a fence, right? It's like, it's uncomfortable. Like you can't be there for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and yet we remain there. <laughs> we remain in this uncomfortable place for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we could go into all this like men's psychology and spirituality about like inhibition being like the greatest problem, you know, for men. Um, it's like goes all the way back to like Adam and Eve where Eve is grasping for the fruit and Adam just stands there and watches and then like takes yeah. the fruit given to him because that's the easy option, you know, um, rather than actually like, you know, taking a risk or um, no, we, I th I, yeah, I think, you know, we could go on for a while talking about this, but yeah, I think it is the, the greatest obstacle for men is this, this inhibition and this fear of um trying and failing you know being found out as like a fraud um and mm. you know i think there's there's a lot of things that just paralyze a man from trying where what are what are other you know beyond sort of inaction or non-action um and those those are different things right mm. um but because non-action can be intentional inaction mm. is not but mm. What are other things, your vantage point, you know, basically leading this ministry, um, I'm sure gives you purview into like the common sort of thematics that might come up in these vocational walks. If, if sort of inaction is one of those, 
Like, what are other things maybe that are general themes that you run across quite a bit that, that, that keep folks from, from kind of taking that step? Yeah. I would say one major thing is that people have no clue where to begin oftentimes. <laughs> maybe they want to take that okay. step. Maybe they want to know God's will, but they don't even know where to start. That was really the impetus behind developing this video series in the first place. Um, pretty early on in vocations work, there's the men I speak with, but realizing like, oh, there's a lot of things to talk about and to help guide them through. And I can only meet with them so much. Uh, I can only meet with so many people. Maybe there's a whole category of people that don't want to meet with me at all. Uh, so wanting to provide a guide or accompaniment, walking someone through the paces, through the steps of where does one even start to try to discern God's will? Um, so that's where the video series really came from. Um, and in part of that, like, for example, just one, for instance, of what that looks like is men are really confused by, well, maybe I'm called to be a priest. I, I feel some attraction, some desire there. Uh, but I also really like women and I want to have a family. <laughs> and it's like, you know, if God really wanted me to be a priest, I wouldn't want to have kids or, you know, a wife or a family. It's like, right. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> like, if you don't have that, then that's more of a problem. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You, sh you know, yeah. So, no, you're a human being, you're a man, and you have those very natural and good desires. Uh, but that does not mean that God does not have something else in store for you. And that's really the essence of discernment is choosing between two goods. It's not choosing between mm. bad and good. You don't need to discern that. You just don't do the bad thing. Um, but rather, how do we discern God's will between two good things? Mm. Or somehow, yeah, or somehow maybe ignoring one of those goods or, you know, kind of burying one of those goods because you think you need mm -hmm. to in order to, to follow the other. Yeah, because it's right. true, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that, that, you know, those kind of very you know, logical, natural uh, sort of thoughts come up in this process of like, well, I, you know, I, I can see myself being married. I'm attracted to women. Like, great. I mean, counterintuitively, if that wasn't the case, that might actually be a reason why you shouldn't pursue the priesthood, yeah. right? Yeah. So oh, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's like, it, it's like the priesthood, um, you know, in, in a way should activate on the fullness of what it actually means to be a man. And it's like, I'm not sure that that's really understood. Yeah, absolutely. And Something I've been growing in myself and reflecting on more in the past two years has been this, uh, the role of the, the, or the fatherhood of the priest. Uh, I'm not alone in this. And even just the role of fatherhood in general for men with the year of St. Joseph, um, Jacques Philippe and Father Griffin Carter and others have written books just on celibacy and fatherhood and the priesthood. And, um, and something, I, you know, I tell men is like, your fundamental vocation as a man is to be a father. Uh, you know, right in the beginning in Genesis, God created man and woman. And the first thing he commands to them is be fruitful and multiply. Um, and that applies. All women are called to be mothers. All men are called to be fathers. Now, the fullness of fatherhood is a spiritual fatherhood. Um, all, you know, St. Paul says all fatherhood comes from God, the father. Um, and so there's biological fatherhood, there's natural fatherhood, and there's spiritual fatherhood. Um, and that spiritual fatherhood ultimately means reflecting God the Father's love for the worlds and bringing souls to eternal life in heaven, which natural fathers and biological fathers are called to do for their children also. Um, but they are, by 
virtue of having biological natural children are more limited in that uh, just by force of, right. you know, uh, focusing on their kids, you know, they have the, that responsibility and that's a great, beautiful work. Um, but, you know, Jesus promises the hundredfold to those who give up everything to follow him. And so there's a very natural mm. paradoxical, paradoxical connection between celibacy and spiritual fatherhood. Yeah. And it's, it's such a big, um, opportunity too, in the sense that again, time and place, right? America 2022, I think it was, it was 2019, if I'm not mistaken, when the U S became the country on a percentage basis with the most single parenthood. And most Mm -hmm. of that is moms raising kids, frankly, and sadly. And so at this moment in our mission field where we're brought you know to bear out this gospel message across all the different things that we do it seems like that recognition of the importance of that spiritual fatherhood is even more critical right my, my wife and i work a lot in homeless in homeless ministry hmm. and we accompany families that are going through that that struggle and in many cases, that's a dynamic, right? There's no dad anywhere. And so our approach, and this takes a while because not everybody's disposed for the message, but at some point, the conversation around, yeah, your dad may not be in the picture biologically, but you've got your dad in heaven. So that's dad and he's your dad. But then these other kind of facets of fatherhood of which the priesthood is a massive one are particularly important at our moment in time in this mission field. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm beautiful to hear you speak about homeless ministry. We'll have to chat more about that sometime too. I'd love to hear for sure uh, about your work. But, you know, we were speaking before about it's not like God's not calling people. There's just a, a lack of response on our part. And in that it's, yeah, God's got a plan for all of us. You know, all of us are called to be great saints in heaven. Um, and we have a shortage of priesthood, uh, priests in part because of just a general failure on our parts to respond to this in our church and a failure to respond to this call to holiness and to be saints and just seek God's will in all things. If we did that, we would have more priests. Also this call to fatherhood. Yeah. We, um, we're, we, we, we fall short as you've recognized. Yeah. You've identified in our country, there's just an absence or a weakness of the father figure. Um, and men aren't, responding this call to be fathers in general if we had more of that yeah we would have more priests too you know it's these are all related and um so some of the questions are more fundamental than just oh we're we're short on priests it's like yes um but we're also short on fathers um and we're short on holiness (laughs) absolutely yeah i mean it's you know i always found myself grinning at, at at you know god's uh ability to kind of hide in plain sight, but even in the way that we address priests as father, right? I mean, it's like, Mm -hmm. it couldn't be any more clear that this is, you know, (laughs) an important dimension of this. And yet, nevertheless, we sometimes for, you know, forget Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, no, it's so true. It was something actually really beautiful. Just the other day, I was at this um, event with um, a dinner with all these young families. And there was this little toddler there who, um, I, I didn't know the toddler that well, you know, honestly, like um, I, her older s- sister, you know, I knew better in the family I knew well, but like usually when I was over at the family's house, she's in bed already, but, <laughs> but, um, right. And she, she's not speaking, but um, you know, so uh, the mother was saying like, Oh, where's, where's, where's father, you know, where's, where's da- data, where's father. And she wasn't pointing at her father. She was pointing at me. I was like, Whoa, <laughs> 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 I was like, wow. Yeah. Um, 
this little kid can't even speak, but they're like witnessing to the faith, you know? <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes, Father, you know that. Yeah. 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 Um, so, Father, a lot of people, so the people who listen to this show run the gamut. We've got, you know, business folks and artists and people running apostolates and creatives and all kinds of folks. Based on your experience, both personally and then also helping men to discern the priesthood, what does vocation have to teach people who are never going to be priests? In other words, what, what can we draw from this idea of discernment and vocation beyond the priesthood for people who that is not going to be the path that God is calling them to? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I speak about vocation, I often speak about it on three levels, and we've kind of address those each a little bit, but just to spell that out a little more clearly. First, on the most basic level, is this universal call to holiness. Um, if you think about maybe a pyramid, this is the base of the pyramid. Uh, this is the most fundamental, important part. We're all called to be saints. We're all called to get to heaven. If we're not pursuing heaven, uh, we're never going to figure out what our vocational state is, You know what we're called to do with our life in terms of marriage or priesthood, which would be the second level of vocational state, big V vocation in the church of yeah, priesthood, marriage, uh, religious life. Um, that's kind of like, yeah, the path God's calling me to heaven. Um, but then the third part, the top part of it is your individual calling that God has a plan for you that only you can fulfill. Mm. Your, our mission in the church is to reveal God, the Father's love for the world, and only you can do that in your situation, the people that you meet each and every day of your life. Um, and only you can fulfill that. And they're all, these are all interrelated, you know? So like your vocational state's going to determine where you are and what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and what you're able to do. Um, but also your ability to seek God's will and to do it every day is what's going to make you holy and lead you to heaven. Um, and we could go on about that. But so I would say... You know, even if you're not called to um, to be a priest, you still have all three of those levels of vocation, you know, whether that's in marriage. um, We'll enter into that more deeply. Like, what does that mean, um, you know, to be a father and to be a husband and um, to really live that more radically? Uh, But then also pursuing heaven, first and foremost, that's the most important part. But then each and every day of your life, like being open to like what God is calling you to and realizing God does have a plan, kind of coming to mm-hmm. recognize that it's not just um, I just try not to sin and I try to do other good stuff, too. Uh, no, God has a plan. Um, and don't be afraid to let it be radical and to talk to him about it and to really, you know, we have these desires and these hopes and these dreams like deep down within us that we've often just like suppressed and forgotten. And to like revisit those and to like bring them before God. Working with um, young adults and college students, you know, I think a lot of people and maybe even more so now working with these students, they're like afraid to like want something like they're afraid to desire. They like oftentimes it's Mm. like, I just want somebody to tell me what to do. And then you maybe try to tell them and they don't do it, but that's fine. But uh, (laughs) um, right. But Um, but it's like, I'm almost afraid to want something because if I want it so bad and I don't get it, it's going to hurt. Um, but that hope that we have 
that that hope that we have that it's almost like a promise that God's placing within us and like where he wants to take us, like where he wants to lead us. So I think becoming aware of these things that God plants in our heart and like start to talk to him about and see where he's leading that. Yeah, there's a there's a ton there. Um, I think one of the things which you know, properly defined would be awesome in the sense of the old definition of that word, like literally causes awe, Mm -hmm. is this sense that God has a specific plan that only you can fulfill in the history of salvation. Yeah. Like that's a big thought, but it also happens to be true. I've been reflecting a lot on the virtue of magnanimity, which Mm -hmm. is not like one we hear too much about, but that's the kind of recognition that you were made for greatness, right? Mm -hmm. And that you're God's original idea, that Pope Benedict used to say that, and you're kind of God's great idea. Everybody is. And so consequently, if that's true, that means that there's something that I'm called to that only I can do. And you kind of start in what you were describing with this pyramid and the foundation, the different steps and the parts that we all share. I kind of get an image of what St. Peter used to call this, St. Peter called like the spiritual edifice, right? The building, all those blocks that basically raise you ultimately to the stature of perfection, which is the, the person of Jesus Christ. But we're all like, you know, we share in that framework and we all just have to find what you know, those pieces of that, of that edifice we're particularly called to. So the thing can stand up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, we are members of the body of Christ. We're, you know, uh, I guess individually and collectively like temples of the Holy spirit. Um, and we each have our role to play in that. Um, I, this just, uh, the other day, um, was attending mass and the priest there, I was celebrating the priest preaching, gave a beautiful homily just on, um, just like things that make you go, wow. <laughs> and it's like, whether he was talking about fly fishing and how like somebody was could cast and he was just like, wow, you know, I want to do that. <laughs> and so he would go out right. and practice, you know, for hours trying to like do that. Um, but you know, speaking about like the glory of the heavens and the mountains and the ocean, it's like, you know, these things make you go, wow. And, um, in that way they glorify God, you know, um, he, he described glory as like what makes God visible um, mm. and, and manifest. And so we all of creation in a way glorifies God's makes him manifest, makes you go, wow. Um, but do we, right. <laughs> you know, right. do we in our lives, <laughs> do I make God manifest? Do I glorify him? Do I make people go like, wow, God is awesome. You know, I want to be like that. Mm. I want that. It's a tough question. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's a real question, kind of things that make you, uh, stop and reflect. I mean, I can answer in my case, you know, most often I have no clue, maybe not, but I, you know, but it's a great, uh, a great thing to kind of hold yourself accountable to, because that is in a sense what we're all called to respective of what our particular walk is. Um, fathers, you think about, uh, Chivi as we have got this body of videos that you've created. Um, is it, how many is it? Is it 27, 28? So there's uh, 27 videos, but we did have like a little intro video and and we've got a few like follow up ones, but the bulk of it is the 27 part series. And there, but and by the way, just if I could give you a note on them, because media, especially digital media, is like I spent twenty years doing this. Um, they're super well done, and they're the right format, the right length, the right approach. I find them being, you know, from my standpoint, a person who's already gone through this sort of vocational and discernment period, and 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 you know, been ordained. Even though I'm not the target, perhaps I found them being very nourishing to me. Just so you know, so. 
I think they're really, really well done. And discernment is an ongoing thing kind of forever, right? We're always discerning. So anything that encourages that is a good thing. But that little editorial aside, when you think about this video series you, that you've created, do you envision this as a kind of ongoing platform that could have, you know, other, you know, kind of permutations or, you know, ways to express this, um, you know, kind of discernment assistance that you're trying to create? And, and do you at, ever, at any point envision a broader audience mm -hmm. than just, you know, men who are discerning a call specifically to the priesthood? Yeah, great questions. Um, yeah, what's the big dream? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, the hope is help people to know God's will, desire to do it. Um, and most specifically, that's through um, for men who are discerning the priesthood. But as you said, hopefully it's and I, I think it is a, a help for for everyone, um, any Christian desiring to grow in doing God's will and growing closer to him. We'll get something out of the series. Um, I, I didn't want to make it just um, something that went on indefinitely uh, because uh, there, and, and that's where the follow-up episodes come in. The first 27 episodes are really, yeah, about coming to know God's will, but it's not enough just to know it. You got to do it, you know? So I don't want somebody sitting on the fence forever, just like reflecting on, oh yeah, that'd be great. But no, you got to take action at some point. So I, I didn't want it to go on like just, you know, uh, uh, forever. That being said, um, I do hope, you know, I, a series I would like to develop, it hasn't, there's been bits and pieces I've been working on, but I haven't had the opportunity to really um, push it through, is something for like high school students discerning like where to go to college and how to keep your faith in college. Mm. Um, so uh, especially in the Northeast, and I imagine, you know, LA might be similar, there's um, a lot of students just go to college, not without even thinking about it sometimes. Um, sure. So beginning to think about, well, how do I, how do I think about and how do I pray about and inviting God into this process of where, what to do after high school? I was going to say that's just one idea. But yeah, hopefully some other maybe other projects along those lines of targeting different types of discernment, different people and different. Father, before we get to our, our final segment here, wait, what um, I wanted to just we'll include info on the video series, you know, your work at the diocese, et cetera. But if, if, if folks are interested in learning more about the series, about, I don't know, getting in touch with you, learning more about the work that you're doing there in the Archdiocese of Boston, like what, what should they pay attention to? Yeah. So the videos are hosted for the most part on YouTube. So if you go to YouTube, you look at Vocations Boston, our channel, you'll find all the videos, but our website, vocationsboston.org, um, provides a, um, a way to be notified as those videos come out, um, to be sent reminders about the videos, but also I, I did develop a guidebook to accompany them because the videos are only five minutes in mm. length. They're really brief, really short. Um, but for each episode, I have reflection questions, scripture to pray with, um, further resources to go deeper, like book recommendations, things like that. So if you sign up on our website, vocationsboston.org, you'll, you'll get those other resources, which are really helpful. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, we'll include all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. But if you are 
a person who maybe has been getting that tug on your heart and you think you want to find out more. These are phenomenal resources. I realize that, you know, they were built principally for the Archdiocese of Boston, but they definitely have broader geographical application than just that. So I'd encourage anybody who has that kind of question, or if you know somebody, or you want to be that incarnational kind of moment and motivation, send it to somebody who you think um, might be getting that tug or, or, or should be considering uh, the priesthood. And in all cases, it's a really awesome tool for discernment in general and kind of hearing or better being able to hear the way that God is calling us in, in, in our lives. So, you know, Father, continued prosperity on the ministry on this particular work. I think it's really, really excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, God bless you for your fatherhood and, uh, and really a privilege to have you on the show. Thank you, Deacon Charlie. It's been a pleasure. Been happy to be here. Awesome. All right, Father, are you ready to play? Wait, what? I guess so. <laughs> Let me have it. <laughs> That's exactly the answer I was hoping for. All right, here yeah. we go. Three <laughs> questions, Father. So question number one, and we thought since you're a track and field person, we didn't talk about that, but you've got a background in track and field and a variety of different interests in rock climbing, a bunch of different stuff. And you can see that come out in the videos that we've been talking about. But since you're a track and field person and you're obviously Catholic father, we thought you might be the authority to answer a question about a great Catholic track star. So here goes. Oh <laughs> Though born a Seventh-day Adventist in Jamaica, Usain Bolt became Catholic as an adult and is arguably the greatest sprinter who's ever lived. So, Father, which of these is false about the great Usain Bolt? Is it A, Usain ate a McDonald's chicken nuggets box right before winning the 100 meters at the Beijing Olympics? Is it B, Usain has scoliosis and has had scoliosis throughout his entire racing career? Or is it C, in his prime, Usain could outrun an adult German shepherd? Which so, of those is false? Let's see. I know B is true because um, he had trouble with his starts earlier in his career and you can see him kind of go side to side. Um, I, I think I've heard about the chicken nuggets before his race, so I want to say that's true. So I think it's C, the German separate is false. Father, you really do know what you're talking about. That's awesome. Yeah, you're right. It is C. Uh, in, in his prime, Usain Bolt ran a blazing 28 miles an hour, but still short of the 30 miles per hour speed of an average German Shepherd. Yeah. So Four-legged four animals always win. It's like <laughs> but to be within spitting distance of an adult German Shepherd oh, yeah. is something uh, pretty scary. But yeah. uh, good job, Father. All right, so you're batting a 1,000. Let's go on to question number two, and this one's a fill-in-the-blank question. Now, Father, you already mentioned you're originally from Needham, Massachusetts, so no doubt you've got this question in the bag, right? For an American city, Needham is positively ancient. It was established originally in November of 1711. And, of course, there's been much history that's prevailed in this town for more than the three centuries that it, since its founding. But bringing into focus something that happened within our own lifetime, in 2005 the town of Needham became the first city in the U.S. to raise the minimum age of what? The first city in the U.S. to raise the minimum age of what? Or to do what? In 2005. Um, 2005, first city in the I've country. I've got other Needham trivia. I was, like, um, so I, I was gonna say like something like driver's license, but that's... I assume that's been raised at some point from like 14 to 16 or I think 
in Boston, it might be 17 now. So I don't know. I'll go with that because I don't know what else. Like the, the that is sadly incorrect, Father. The uh, answer is buying of tobacco products. Uh, it was the okay, first 21. city in yeah. the U.S. Yep, many cities and entire states followed suit after Needham, Massachusetts. Mm. Then, And in 2019, President Trump actually signed a federal legislation raising the minimum for every place in the country. So Needham so, kicked that off. So I, I just kind of grew up with that. I was in high school at that time, so I just thought it was a yep. normal thing, probably. <laughs> there, there you go. So if you were, a, you know, a future pipe or, to, or yeah. a cigar smoker, you don't you don't want to come up in Needham, no. apparently. But no, they, they, they led that. All right. Final question, Father. Doing excellent. There's people who listen to the show. I know there's always a time machine question. So here it goes. Father, you travel, and you get, you're automatically guaranteed to get this one right. Okay. So, <laughs> Father, you travel back in time to the outskirts of Torino, Italy in 1827. And I know you're, you're familiar with Torino. I know you've been to Turin. There you meet a 12-year-old Giovanni Melchiore Bosco, mm -hmm. later to be known as Don Bosco and eventually St. John Bosco. Giovanni is living on his own at the tender age of 12, and he spends his days working in a vineyard, but is also fascinated by the circus and magic acts and has begun to learn magic tricks himself. Now, knowing how St. John will eventually come to use magic tricks and other kinds of performance as a way to interest boys in the message of the gospel, you decide to teach him a magic trick of your own. Which trick, Father, do you teach the future St. John Bosco? Ooh, uh, good question. Um, I love St. Don Bosco, huge fan of him. As soon as you said Turin, I was like, it's either like Pier Giorgio Frasati or Don Bosco, <laughs> and then all the other stuff. Um, magic trick to teach him so i i've been a fan of watching penn and teller uh more recently oh okay um and they've got a teller has a, a great uh trick with like goldfish and coins um where he um you know is, is shooting coins into water and making goldfish appear and um it's just a wonderful act so that would be a, a fun one if i knew how to do it to teach him <laughs> <laughs> Very good. We'll take it. Hopefully they had goldfish in northern Italy. My, you know, if yeah, not, yeah. you can use, I guess, some local, some local fish. Yeah, I didn't actually know this about, I've been to Turin as well. Um, in fact, you, curiously, in 2011, there was a big volcano in Iceland that exploded and it kind of mm. shut down Europe for a period of time. I was in Italy when that happened so with my entire family and we had to spend an extra week in Italy and we were in Turin for the most of that because that's when we were supposed to be flying home from. So, um, so I'm, I'm familiar with him, but I didn't know this about him and magic. And frankly, now I have something to talk to my brother about because my brother, who's a Benedictine priest, has really recently gotten into this kind of like, you know, sleight of hand mm -hmm. and card tricks mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And he probably knows this already. But if not, it'll be in my next conversation with him that, uh, you know, you can take some cues from a from a great saint in uh, yeah, in magic he's, tricks. He's patron of uh, magicians, I believe. So he is. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And delinquent youth, which, you know, at some point yeah. I was. So, so he's, you know, he's uh, he's he kind of get he gets around. Oh, from yeah. a he's got a lot. Standpoint. I mean, acrobatics and I believe journalism as well, because he taught boys. That's how right. To publish. And publishing. Yeah. 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 That's right. Awesome. Well, Father, thank you for playing the game. Thanks again for being on the show. Great privilege to have you. And if you're listening to our voices, that means it is time again to subscribe. Please share the show in this episode in particular, again, particularly with anybody who you think may be or should be discerning 
the opportunity to learn more or explore the priesthood. And just for anybody who's interested in discernment, we'll have you check out Father Stuff. Um, and we'll be very privileged ourselves to see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Castan and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.